All right, welcome to another episode of Keo Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people really rocking it personally and professionally. All right, I'm speaking with Marsha, who is the marketer turned community builder behind the popular event, Fuck Up Nights Toronto, which aims to destigmatize business failure. These events actually run worldwide. So depending on where you're listening from, there might be something running in your local community. And I'd, I'd highly encourage attending one of them. They're super fun and they're full of learning um, based on these uh, quote unquote business failures that are being shared by the speakers. So enjoy this conversation. If you are, please leave us a little love wherever you're listening. Stars, reviews, they go a long way. And lastly, this conversation as well as the whole podcast is brought to you by Keo, our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests are loaded in-app to help guide you through your daily reflection. K-Y-O in the Apple App Store and you will see it available. Thank you as always and have the best day yet. So, Marsha, who are you or how would you define you as a person? That's a really interesting question. And I feel like my definition has really changed over the years. Um, today, I would really describe myself as a community builder. That's uh, that's really the biggest thing that I do through uh, leading Fuck Up Nights Toronto and really, you know, having people share their stories. I'm building this community around failure and entrepreneurship. So cool. So where, where did the community aspect come, you know, in your life? Has that been part of you as a person or when you mentioned you know, it's evolving? And I think that's a normal response. I think we're all evolving into like who we are and who we are today and who we are tomorrow will continue to evolve. But I'm curious, like, have you ever thought back, you know, as a child, if that was part of your life or what were the triggers you know what? I never thought that I would get into the sort of field or get into community building. But looking back over all of my experiences, you know, through childhood, through my university years, through my professional life, I could kind of see now how all the pieces fit together. I think I've always, you know, been somebody who's really curious and who's um, who's always, you know, really interested in exploring um, different communities and different perspectives and meeting new people and hearing their stories. Um, I've go to a lot of different, you know, events myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, now I'm in this role where I'm building my own community and I think it's something that's really evolved over time. Does it feel a bit surreal that like you're putting on these wild and I mean, I've been to, uh, one of them, but I've, I follow the events quite, quite a bit and it's, it's wild to see like just the growth and the, the overlap in, in networks as well of, of everyone there, like do you ever sit back and just reflect on that? Yeah, it's totally surreal. I mean, you know, if somebody could show me a crystal ball, like even like three years ago and like to see myself leading these types of events, actually like hosting the events, being up in front of a crowd and having this massive community here in Toronto, I would never believe it. Yeah. We, we should back up, I guess, just uh, we're, we're speaking as if it's just you and I listening to this. Uh, what What is Fuck Up Nights? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to start. Yeah. 
Um, so Fuck Up Nights is a global speaker series and community that shares stories of professional failure. So Fuck Up Nights happen in over 300 cities all over the world. Um, I launched the Toronto chapter in March of 2017. And our whole premise is doing monthly events where we have three speakers share their biggest professional fuck-ups and the lessons that they learned. We do this in an environment that's free of judgment, that's really accessible. And we do it in a way where, you know, we have this edgy, fun name, and it really creates um, a different perception of failure. We're making it something that's, you know, it's, it's fun and it's no longer taboo to talk about. And really showing people that, you know, failure touches every person, every industry, and it's really what you take away from that failure and how you use it to propel yourself forward. So for you, just being involved in these events and seeing, you know, so many stories and, and people being vulnerable at the events um, with their failures, like what, what does failure mean to you? I've had a really interesting relationship with failure over the years. I'm the type of person that's, you know, really type A, very high achieving. Um, and I've always struggled with failure. It's, you know, it's not something that I've experienced a lot and I've always been really scared of it, I think. But at the same time, I've always been really entrepreneurial and kind of open to taking risks, which like mm -hmm. those two things sometimes don't play that well together. Um, but through these events, I, I've learned so many incredible lessons. I think the number one thing that I learned is that really everybody is struggling with something. Everybody is dealing with failure. I've had speakers from all different walks of life, some of the most successful entrepreneurs and professionals that you'll find in Toronto. And you'd be really shocked to hear, you know, some of the struggles that they've dealt with and what kind of failures they've had to overcome. So doing these types of events and having done them for close to two years now, that's just a pattern that keeps on coming up. You know, everybody wants to sort of display their highlight reel, but the truth is yeah. failure kind of touches us all. Well, I, yeah. And I think you nailed something really important. It's just that sense of not, not being alone, right. In all this. And I mean, we experience it too, just like Keo, just launching this platform and it's, you hear it all the time, right? Like it's almost 90% you know, failures and 10%, you know, something actually goes really well. But what I really love about your events is that they're not, these aren't small failures. Like these are, when, you, when you're listening to a lot of them, for most people, this would cripple the company or it'd be the end, right? And, and that's what I left, you know, leaving or what I left with was just this sense of motivation and inspiration that, um, you know, no, no matter what the size is, there's obviously always learning and um, like you can get through it, right? And all of these, these other amazing people and businesses and ideas have gotten through those failures. Exactly. That's exactly it. So really with our events, we, we really strive to bring out speakers from various walks of life uh, with different types of stories. Some of the stories are very dramatic and, you know, like huge failures with tons of money lost, companies needed to um, be shut down, personal struggles along the way. Whereas some others are, you know, a little bit more relatable and something that, you know, like, like a, a young entrepreneur who's just starting out, um, some smaller failures that they might have dealt with. 
it really, you know, we don't discriminate on the type of story. It's really, it, it, it's all about the lessons that we can learn from it and what can we really take away from the failure, no matter how large or small it is. Well, let's talk about large failures. You you guys did a genius event recently. Um, I think everyone listening and everyone in the world knows about the fire documentary, um, which is, pr- I'm curious to get your take because I feel like that's one of the most epic failures <laughs> that that's out there right now. But what, like, what was your learning personally seeing that story? Oh my God, watching Firefest, like first of all, the documentary, but also last year while everything was unfolding, um, as an event organizer, I can tell you that's one of the most terrifying things to be watching. You know, yeah. you think like whatever you're doing, you think, oh my God, like what if my event <laughs> does this? <laughs> so I, re- I remember very distinctly as I was watching those events unfold, you know, like all those um, Twitter posts and everything last year as it was happening, I was like smack in the middle of planning a large scale event myself and my first time <laughs> doing something even remotely like it. So there was, you know, it was definitely um, a little bit scary um, seeing that unfold. And then watching the documentary a few weeks ago was it definitely gave me some heart palpitations. <laughs> watching it, I mean, you can you can really see how something like that would happen and how, you know, how an event like that could really spiral out of control. Um, but, you know, the whole fraud piece of it and everything else yeah. was just like completely, completely insane. Well, that, I mean, that just takes it to a whole other level. And just to give some perspective for people listening, um, because it it is pretty popular. So most people probably know what we're talking about, but the Fire Fire Festival was supposed to be a music festival um, on a remote island in the Caribbean, I believe, right? And basically, long story short, I mean, they were genius marketers, I think, is what I got out of that and brought in models and influencers and created so much hype and basically oversold everything without actually having the capability to put on the event. And um, to what you mentioned, there was a, a huge fraud aspect to that, um, which is not cool, obviously. But if you if you take that piece out of it and just focus on the fact that they were just so good at creating the hype and, and the, like the story behind it, like that's kind of inspiring, but it's like you. <laughs> they saw the you know, vision. Yeah, they really did. Yeah. That's what kind of scared me because it's, you know, you, I can relate to, you know, you're always trying to sell the vision and the story, you know, and, and kind of figuring things out on the fly. But normally the gap in between what you can do and what you're selling is, uh, typically a little bit smaller. Yeah, you would hope right? so. But it's, yeah, so we, um, we did a documentary screening for our community where we basically played this documentary and, you know, we gathered around and uh, we, we really like leaned into um, some of the inside jokes um, from the like documentary. The yeah, you know, we had a tent set up for VIP seating. <laughs> we had some cheese sandwiches. We had a lot of fun with it. But really the overarching thing was that, you know, a lot of founders in the room and a lot of our community members, they could really relate to it. Because like mm-hmm. you said, like there, there definitely is a gap between, you know, like what your product actually is or your service or the event and, you know, the vision that you're trying to sell. And, you know, like some, it really could spiral out of control like that. So what did you, like when you, when you walked away from that and then actually seen the whole story now documented, 
Like, did you, like, what's been going through your mind after seeing that as a learning? I think a big learning is really like, just like being realistic with, with yourself and with your stakeholders um, and just making sure that you're not biting off more than you can chew. I think like one of the things that came up in the documentary, like they, they really could have avoided this huge fiasco if they had just, you know, when they realized that this was not realistic and, you know, everything that they had planned and the vision that they were selling was like, there was no way that they were going to be able to bring it to life. They could have just postponed that uh, festival Mm -hmm. to the following year. And I think that, you know, it could have actually been successful, but there's so much like pride involved in it. And obviously the investor money and all these other factors. But I think sort of like just being really realistic with yourself and with your stakeholders before you get too deep. No, that's, I'm glad you shared that. I think that's a really, really good and valuable insight because you're, you're right. I mean, and they probably had those gut feelings as well, right? There's no way that the whole team, you know, didn't at one point know this, like, there's no way this is, this is going to happen. And, and I think you, you need to follow that. Right. And it, because you're right, I think they could have saved it. it, it I mean, the concept was awesome. Um, and I wonder, I wonder how many similar situations, probably not at that scale, obviously that, you know, play out in the kind of in that fashion that, that can be avoided. So your point of just kind of stepping back for a second and and thinking, right. And, um, you know, making the tough decision is, is, is super important. Um, I wanted to chat a little bit with you just, you know, backing up when, when all of this started with, with fuck up nights. I mean, I know you, you were in Toronto, you were working, um, I believe in the startup world or tech world, but at one point you decided to, to live abroad in Tel Aviv. And I think that's where the idea actually came up. So I'm just curious, having relocated and experienced travel, obviously, but then completely different types of communities, like how that led its way into your work now. Yeah. So it was, I mean, my career path and my life path, I think has been anything but linear. Um, So before going to Tel Aviv, I was actually working in a corporate role. So I wasn't in the tech world yet, but I really, I, I really wanted to get into the tech world. And, you know, I was, I was really excited about the the growth and the startups that I was seeing here in Toronto. Um, but I also have always wanted to have that experience of living abroad, working abroad, and, you know, having that opportunity to really get myself out of my comfort zone and to experience a whole other culture, be in a place where, you know, I don't speak the language and I really just have to figure it out. So, yeah, I came across this opportunity in Tel Aviv to go work for a really early stage startup. I was employee number six. Um, yeah, that startup was later acquired. Like after I got back to Toronto, it was later acquired by Fiverr. So now it's part of, you know, a massive, um, global giant. But at the time that I worked there, um, it was really small and I was really able to kind of be there to help shape the strategy, um, and to really wear a lot of different hats. How do I have to stop you? Because just, there's two points there that, I mean, a lot of people talk about what you just did, right? With a making a move like that is massive and B leaving the corporate world to join as employee number six in a startup is a whole other massive kind of life event. So like what were some of the questions running through your mind or 
you know, what allowed you to take that leap? Because that, I mean, that's big. Yeah, it, it was a couple of things. So, I mean, I felt like I was living a very comfortable life. I was, you know, getting close to my third year in the role where I was. I felt like I was very good at that job. I, I had gotten promoted, um, but I felt like my learning was sort of stagnating there. I felt like there wasn't too much more for me to, to sort of learn there in that role. So I think the big question for me was, you know, is this something that's going to get me out of my comfort zone? And is it something that's going to help me grow as a person? And something mm-hmm. else that I asked myself was, am I going to have regrets if I don't do this? I mean, okay. I, w- I would rather live with a regret of, you know, going on an experience like that and hating it and then, you know, coming coming back and maybe going back to that same job. But I would hate to, you know, like have this type of opportunity and then be sort of too scared to do it and then have regrets about it later. So I think those were two um, major questions. And at the time, you know, I had um, I just turned 25 and I felt like I was at a point in my life where, you know, like that was the perfect time to be taking that type of risk. I, you know, I didn't have a mortgage. I don't have any dependents. Um, So, you know, it, it was like it was a risk. But at the same time, you know. Like, I could always come back. I could always move back in with my parents. Um, there's a lot of options. Whereas I think, you know, for for somebody who has, you know, children or or mortgage or, you know, other like pressing responsibilities, something like that is obviously a much different type of choice and a much different type of evaluation, but still not completely off limits. Yeah. Well, I'll add to that because other than the mortgage and children aspect, my story is exactly what you just described. So, it, and because I asked the exact same questions, leaving a corporate job and we had just had a baby. Um, we didn't, I know we did move, event, I mean, we moved from Montreal to Toronto, so obviously not a, a bigger, that big of a move, but, but yeah, I mean, I think the core questions are, are, are the same, right? Like what, like, what do you have to lose? And the whole piece of regret um, I totally resonate when you said that. It was the same thing. It was like I, I knew that I would regret not trying this, and you could always go back to the other job or a similar job, right? So, you know, for everyone listening, um, you know, there's always options. I think that's the point I'd love to to leave everyone with. And the way you set that up was was really nice. Exactly. It's so, it's, it's exactly that. And then also just asking yourself, you know, does this feel right in my gut? Like a lot, yeah. a lot of the time you could tell. And then lastly, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like really like picturing the worst case outcome if you do take that risk and, you know, realizing that it's, you know, it's probably not that bad. Totally. This, some of this must be coming from some Tim Ferriss. I know you're a big fan, but it sounds very Tim Ferriss-ish questions. Tim Ferriss fan. Yeah. <laughs> Same. So, okay. So you're out in Tel Aviv. Um, and this is where you're exposed to the Global Fuck Up Nights network, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was going out to a lot of different events in Tel Aviv, you know, in the in the tech world, um, creative events, marketing specific events. Um, same thing in Toronto as well. And, you know, after a while, a lot of those events kind of start to feel the same. You know, people talking about how awesome their company is, how how great their life is. You know how they yeah. how they reach their success, how they how they grew their <laughs> unicorn company. You know, you name it. And yeah. here was this event. I mean, like fuck up nights had popped up on my Facebook newsfeed, and I was like, "What is this? I have to check it out." And I read into it, and it just immediately resonated with me. 
And when I came out to that event, I was just blown away. I've honestly never seen people share stories of failure before. I've never seen such successful people be so vulnerable and, you know, share such a different side of their journey. And then just the types of people that I was able to meet at that event, just it brings together a really diverse and interesting community of people who just have their guard down. You know, they're here at an event where we're talking about failure and just people seem to be a lot more open. Yeah. Amazing. So then, I mean, you, so then is that where the idea came? Cause I mean, we didn't have that here, obviously. So at one point I'm assuming something sparked and said, you know, you've got to bring this to, to Toronto. Yeah. So that's, that's basically what happened. So I came back to Toronto a few months later and, you know, usually when I share my story, I kind of give a quick synopsis and it kind of sounds like a highlight reel as well. You know, I came back from Tel Aviv, it wasn't in Toronto yet. And I decided to launch it. Um, and that's what happened. But really, the truth is, when I came back from Tel Aviv to Toronto, I, I really felt like a failure myself at that time. I was searching for, for a job. This was around the holiday season. So as you can imagine, I wasn't having a lot of luck. I yeah. had moved back in with my parents. At that point, um, I left behind a relationship in Tel Aviv. And I was just really questioning my decision uh, to come back to Toronto, if it was even the right move, if you know I should have stayed there. I had a lot of really interesting opportunities over there. And I just, I thought of fuck up nights and I really just like wanted to go out to the events and kind of connect with this type of community where people have their guard down and they're sharing like their struggles outside of their highlight reel. And I searched for it and it didn't exist yet. And, you know, it was already in Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, some smaller cities had it, um, but somehow Toronto didn't. And I was just mm. kind of at a point in my life where, you know, I was looking for my next step. I didn't really feel like I had a lot to lose. And I just really wanted this community to exist here in Toronto. So I kind of thought, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Again, going back to that question, yeah. um, I'll fuck up something called fuck up nights. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It will be a good story. It will be ironic. Um, so yeah, I started to get the plan in motion to launch it here, and you know, did the launch event, and it's it's really resonated and it's exploded to like beyond my wildest dreams. It's, I mean, a huge congrats to to you and the team, and I know there's a there's a really large or healthy group of volunteers as well that that help and then you have you know your own internal team and it's it's but it's just really well done i mean i i frequent a lot of different events as well and you can immediately tell you know the the caliber of the event you're putting on and just the quality so it's you know i just knowing you personally i know you're always probably on to the next event and next idea and i hope you can pat yourself on the back every now and then because it's really really great stuff what you're doing thank you so much i i really appreciate it it really helps to you know hear these kinds of uh this kind of feedback of course um i do want to talk though a little bit and you know just doing some of the research for this chat i i know when you first started it you you you've kind of pushed yourself to the max and you know obviously step in if i'm pulling the wrong information but it sounded like you you burnt out a bit um just trying to do everything on your own and get i mean this is such a typical story right and what the question i want to ask you is having gone through that at the beginning and now that you're you know, you've actually started other um other events in other cities and and the toronto events grown substantially like how have you handled your own uh, mental health or mental fitness 
to work through um, putting on, you know, events like this size? Yeah, it's definitely, it's a really interesting question. And, you know, I feel like I don't have the perfect answer to this. And, you know, it's something that I'm always working on and, you know, striving to get better. When I first started Fuck Up Nights, I I definitely made a few key mistakes. I, I didn't build a team right away. And, you know, I took on everything myself. And it definitely led to burnout. You know, the first year I was working full time and doing this. And I was kind of burning the candle at both ends, just pretty much working nonstop. And, you know, it, 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 I really did crash. Um, so a couple things that are really instrumental to my own mental health, um, really anything that gets me out of my mind. So I'm definitely a person that suffers from anxiety, um, especially leading up to these types of events. So anything where I can really like unplug um, from my phone, from my email, whether it's, you know, taking a walk outside, going for a Pilates class, taking a bath, you name it, just something that's going to, you know, help me unplug and, and really connect with my body. Um, also, you know, really placing importance on having a great team and being able to delegate things and realizing that, you know, I can't do everything myself. I'm not superwoman. Um, that's yeah. been a huge shift as well. Um, and then just the people that I surround myself with, you know, having really supportive friends and family that I could talk to. Um, but then also, you know, building out this network for myself of people who are entrepreneurs and who are entrepreneurial, um, who can really relate better to what I'm going through. So I think those are the key things. It's, I totally resonate with that. Even just uh, your, your comment about just the the people you surround yourself with. I mean, I know you and I have met. It's it's like sometimes you just need a little startup therapy, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and just just it's, you know, it's not necessarily a venting or complaining, but just to talk. I think it goes right back to not being alone, right? Like right back to the beginning of this conversation and what's being shared at at fuck up nights. It's like we're not the only ones going through tough scenarios and 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 good scenarios as well, obviously, but just helps to talk about that. Exactly. How did you like with in terms of getting out of your mind? Cause that, that's so important. And it's, it's something that comes up often on, on the, sh- on this show. Like, did you, is, has this evolved over time or did you actively sit down at one point and just like, you know, enough's enough um, and just go through some sort of exercise to figure out what these, like what these practices could look like for you? I think I've gotten a lot better over time at realizing when I'm approaching burnout and being able to kind of stop mm-hmm. it before it happens. Whereas before, you know, I've definitely had a couple of cases of burnout where, you know, I saw it coming, but I just kind of pushed harder. And then, you know, it, it just ends up slowing you down so much if you don't stop it in time. Um, but I think really like over time, I, I've realized the things that work for me. I personally, I really enjoy doing Pilates. I feel like that's kind of my meditation. And then travel is huge for me as well. I feel like there's, there's absolutely nothing like it. And I don't think I ever feel more relaxed than when I'm on a plane about to take off. You know, I feel like, like finally it's like everything is out of my control. I have to put my phone on airplane mode and, that's it. You know, I'm like off to a new destination. I don't, I don't know if that's, that's something that other people would resonate with, but that's something that always strikes me. You know, when I like sit down in the plane and my phone is on airplane mode, I, I feel so relaxed and so happy. And just when I'm traveling, that's, I think when I feel most alive, like not necessarily the happiest, but just most alive. Sure. 
Well, let's talk about the plane because I mean, that's, and especially right now, given some of these, I mean, I just came back on a flight that had Wi-Fi, and for me, I never, uh, I never connect to that because I'm, I totally in this, on the same page as you. It's like the plane is a bit of a sanctuary for, uh, for silence, right? But I'm wondering, like, so what when you're on the plane, like, what are you? Do you journal? Do you like read, think? Like, what what are some of your recharge activities? Or maybe you just you sleep the whole flight. <laughs> but I it's thought I'd of, ask. Honestly, it's like it's all of the above, depending on how long the flight is. You know, if it's like a short haul okay. flight, like I travel to New York quite a bit. On a flight like that, maybe I'll journal for a bit and then just kind of close my eyes. And next thing you know, you've you've arrived at your destination. For a longer flight, you know, that's like I, I actually don't own a TV at home, so it's it's really rare that I'll watch shows or movies. Uh, sure. On on the plane, that's like a really good opportunity for me to catch up and you know watch a fun movie, um, have some time to journal and have some time to sleep as well if I can actually get to sleep. Yeah. That's so funny you mentioned the TV because for the last, I think it's been four or five years now, we we have a TV, but we've never, uh, we canceled our, our like satellite and cable um, actually when we moved to Montreal and just purely because it was like ridiculously expensive and we're like, we're not really using this that much. Um, and then now though, if I'm in a hotel, it's like, I have to turn the TV on just to see like, Oh, this is what's happening in network television these days to see what's, it's a funny feeling, right? Exactly. It's so true. It's kind of like junk food as well. Like I never keep yeah. food around the house, but you know, whenever I'm at a party or something, there's like a bowl of chips. I, yeah, I'm, the, it's gone. Yeah, I'm the person <laughs> standing there just eating the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good insight though, right? Like, you know, things like that, it's because that relates to so many different aspects of life, right? Just knowing, knowing yourself and knowing what, you know, to, to keep away so that you, um, you know, ultimately can, can optimally perform, right? And a lot of people uh, don't do that, right? And we, there's only so much willpower for whether it's junk food, whether it's, binge watching Netflix or it's like name whatever it is, right? I think it's just important to go through that process and just identify. I think especially as entrepreneurs, it's like we feel so guilty when we're not working and we're not being productive. And I think yeah. like I've had so many conversations with, with others about this and it's just something that we can't help, you know, like if like things are not going to happen unless you do them for your company or your initiative or whatever you're working on. But again, it's kind of it's being able to look at it objectively and realize that, no, like I actually do need to recharge and I need to give myself the, the adequate amount of sleep and really like for like whatever activity it is, whether it's meditation or exercise or, you know, hanging out with people close to just anything that's going to help you um, unplug and recharge and come back fresh and, you know, ready to, to take on the next challenge. That's so important. I, I wouldn't mind spending a bit of time on that because I've, I've noticed that as well. And, and especially, you know, in our case, running a, you know, wellness or a mental fitness company, it's, you'd think like that's all we're doing, but it's, it's a challenge for us as well. And we have to actively pull out and be like, okay, wait a second. I mean, as if our health or the health of the team is in jeopardy for whatever reason, then, um, you know, that's going to affect everything. So, I'm curious, knowing that you do have a lot of conversations with with founders and and startups, and well, not just startups, but like really anyone that's that's leading companies and, and teams. 
Like, have you noticed a shift in people prioritizing their mental health or their health in general? Or like, where do you think we're at on that spectrum right now? You know what? I'm feeling really hopeful and I am seeing a really good shift around it. I think mental health in general is just something that people are a lot more open to talking about now. Um, and, you know, you, you could see like, like as a startup founder, you know, as a leader, you know, a professional at the top of your field who's like managing other people, it's so important to set that example for your team. So, you know, like you, I think like as a manager, or as a, as a founder, you don't want to be that person that, you know, your team sees you, um, staying late every night at the office and, you know, not having a life outside of what the company yeah. is like, you just don't want to set an example like that. And, you know, from the founders and the, the, like the past speakers that I've had, I've really noticed that, you know, a common theme that comes up and it's really something that people seem to be more conscious of and kind of shifting their attention towards, really like taking care of their own health and leading by example for their teams and their families as well. No, I agree with you. I, I, I'm really hopeful uh, as well. I can see that shift happening. I mean, we're in the thick of it, but even if you just kind of pull out it as a, 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 a as an observer, I can see it as well. I just find it so funny that even the example you use of, you know, not staying late and, and setting that for your team, like our parents was, you know, was the opposite, right? Exactly. <laughs> I yeah. Like my, I remember my first job, it was like, okay. And I've always been a morning person. So I used to go in super early, but I had always tried to leave at a respectable time, but it was like a legit concern that I was leaving earlier than a lot of people, right? Even though it's put, even at that time, putting in a significant amount of, of hours, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting to see that starting to shift. Yeah. And just the nature of work shifting as well, especially in the tech and startup world. I think it's, it's not about the the hours you put in, it's about the, you know, the output and the results that you bring and, you know, really letting people um, work in ways that, that fit their lifestyle and their needs, you know, like not everybody's a morning person. Some people prefer to come in later and stay later. Some prefer to work at home, really like making sure that everybody on the team is, is working in a way that fits them. Yeah, I agree. It really is an exciting time. Like it's a it's a fun fun era to be working in right now. I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Um, in relation to, I, I did want to like we've talked a bit about mental fitness, obviously, but I I'd love to get what like your definition of what that means to you. I think mental fitness to me is um, is really making sure that you have a balance um, between you know like um, your work. Um, your body and your health. Hmm. And like for you, you mentioned Pilates and some of these other um, practices that you've picked up, even some journaling on, on planes and whatnot. Like what are your absolute non-negotiables? Like if you are traveling for um, an extended period of time and cause that's usually like when you're in your own routine and you're at home, it's, that's, a little easier to keep up, but then all of a sudden you rock that, that environment and things start slipping. So what are the things that are, are non-negotiables for you? Um, one thing that jumps to mind is, um, eating healthy. I think that's, you know, that's mm -hmm. one thing that's always been really important to me, making sure that I'm eating, 
uh, really nice, like fresh food, um, having home cooked meals as much as possible um, and kind of trying to maintain um, some of that while traveling, I think helps me stay in my routine. Anything that helps you for that, just because that that's that's tough. Right. And I it's so important. But is like, is there anything that has helped you kind of really stay on point with 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 nutrition when, when traveling? I think it's all about just like preparedness and doing some research ahead of time. But, you know, like not being too strict with yourself while you're traveling. I mean, you obviously want to experience um, cuisine and the culture, but at the same time, you know, being conscious of of what you are consuming and trying to stay on the healthier side of things. Okay. Sorry. I just like to get a bit tactical sometimes on this, these conversations. It, it, It helps. Yeah, for sure. No, I think like research is everything, just going in with an idea of, like where you where specifically you can eat and what types of things you can order i think that's super helpful awesome have there just your own practices over the last let's say three to six months um have there been any changes or anything that you've swapped out or included that you find have been helpful that you'd like to share yeah, something that I started doing in the mornings is actually listening to podcasts. I like I love listening to podcasts, but before I would kind of um, listen to them on my commutes or you know at the end of the day while I was um, preparing dinner or something. But I found that really um, helpful and positive to um, to listen to a podcast in the morning. Again, I feel like that's something that kind of gets me out of my own mind and helps me focus on on something else. And you know, you learn a lot from it and. Um, I just feel like I, I kind of leave there in a more positive, um, mindset and just kind of, um, having learned something and excited to take on my day. I love that. So I, I fall into the other category of, of more of the commute and, or at the gym or on the way back kind of in the evening. So I'm curious personally, actually in the morning. So are you like, are you solely listening to the podcast or are you doing other things? Like what's, what's your morning routine look like? Yeah, so it it really depends on the morning. I don't have like a super strict routine that I follow, um, okay. but you know, for the most part, I'll 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 wake up, I'll prepare some kind of um, breakfast, or if I'm not feeling super hungry, then I'll skip my breakfast and you know prepare a lunch. Um, and during that time, I'll listen to the podcast, or you know, if it looks okay. like it's really nice outside, then I'll pop out for a walk and do that before I do anything else in my day. Nice. But not not in this winter, not right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's for sure. Um, I, I definitely want to get your. Uh, so I want to respect your time. Start wrapping up a bit, but I definitely would like to get your three reflective prompts. And these are these are just questions that you know you might find yourself asking on a frequent basis or during big life changing events. Uh, I know you mentioned a few earlier in the conversation, but whatever really stands out and kind of a gut gut feeling on what these questions would be. Um, and then these are loaded in the app, obviously, to help um, people with their own reflection. Yeah, so I, I, you know what? I think we did go over them before. Um, sure. But really, like the ones that stand out to me are, will this push me out of my comfort zone and help me grow as a person? So I ask myself that for really like a lot of different things. It could be, you know, a huge life decision. Or it could be, you know, just um, something that I'm considering doing, like maybe a new type of event or, you know, a new partnership. I'll ask that um, in terms of my community, like, is this going to help fuck up nights grow and, you know, help it um, expand out of what's comfortable? Um, Mm -hmm. 
then, you know, that question about what's the worst thing that could happen. Um, that's, you know, that's something again, that I really apply to my personal and professional life as well. And I feel like as, you know, somebody who, who deals with anxiety, I feel like that's something that really helps me a lot, like being able to sort of visualize what the actual worst case scenario is and realizing, you know, it's actually not as bad as, you know, my mind is spinning it out to be. That's super important. If you don't mind, just because, uh, I mean, a lot of people obviously, um, suffer with, with anxiety. And I mean, I, I have moments of it as well. And, um, I mean, obviously anxiety just typically is you're running into the future, right? And, and, and narratives are, are going, racing through your mind a million miles a minute. So like when you notice that trigger, um, do you ask this question? Like, do you sit down and write things out? Do you, is there anything else that helps you get out of that spiral? Yeah, it actually, it does really help me um, to sit down and to journal about it, to ask myself that question, what's the worst thing that could happen? But then also kind of just list out like, what is everything that's bothering me right now? And then kind of like categorizing it, it as like, is this in my control or is it not? And then the ones that are in my control, then I can kind of quickly figure out what I could do to solve that issue, whether it's, you know, delegating it to somebody else on my team, um, realizing that maybe I had taken on too much and like finding a way to, um, to kind of like pare down my to-do list. Um, really just, yeah, like that helps me a lot to be able to get things down on paper and to categorize them in that way. Okay. No, thank you for sharing. Um, do you have a third? Um, I do. Yeah. So it's, it's that regrets question that we spoke about earlier. So, you know, will I have regrets if I don't do this? It's always like, I ask myself, um, on that side of it, if I don't do it, I would rather have, I would rather try something and then regret it. Um, then, you know, then not having done it and then regret that. Completely agree. No, these, and these are great prompts. Thank you so much for, for sharing these. My, my final question is, you know, if you think about the next, let's say three, three to six months, like what really makes you smile? Um, in terms of fuck up nights, I'm super excited about our um, upcoming second year anniversary. It's absolutely wild to me that, you know, I've been at it for two years here in Toronto and how much it's grown and, you know, all the incredible um, people that I've been able to meet through it and, you know, the all of our amazing partners. So I'm really excited about our celebration event to really, you know, celebrate this community that we've built. Um, I'm also really excited about the future of Fuck Up Nights. Um, Toronto and Kitchener-Waterloo, there's a lot of really exciting things coming up. Um, a lot of growth opportunities, new partnership opportunities, um, and really like diving deeply into, into other industries that, you know, wouldn't typically, um, associate with this type of event, but that also really deal with failure. So just bringing the concept to life and in new ways and engaging, uh, new segments of the city. I'd really like to thank you for, for, well, a sharing, um, this excitement because that, that, I'm excited to, to attend the, um, the anniversary event and just, just seeing what you, you and the team have built. It's, it's really, it's really inspiring. And again, you know, I hope you, you, you all realize the great work you're doing because at the end of the day, I mean, you're, you're providing a safe and comfortable space for people to talk about things that people don't normally talk about. And 
now more than ever, I think, you know, we need more of this. So uh, a huge thanks uh, for me personally, but then everyone listening for, you know, getting up every morning and working through your own personal struggles to put this, these events on and help a lot of people, um, not just in Toronto. I mean, this stuff spreads, right? So um, a huge thanks. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. 